And I'm like, where's the water bottles? They're like, oh, we don't use them anymore. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your work here is done. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was a pretty fantastic thing. It was a big like, day for you. This is the Drive-By History Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Ken Magos. On today's episode, I'll be joined by Professor Joseph Sarnowski, who happens to be a colleague of mine at Kane University. He joined us for an upcoming episode where we visited the absolutely remarkable Sterling Hill Mining Museum. Let's get to it. So, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really happy we get a chance to talk, especially offset. You grew up in New Jersey. Let's talk I a little did. bit about your childhood here in this beautiful state. I did. I can't escape the state. Um, <laughs> I I grew up in a in a what was a small town. It's grown up a little bit of Lyndhurst in in the northern part, northeastern part of New Jersey, right next to what was Giant Stadium, and um, and. I, I left for a little while, but I always come back. I love New Jersey too much. Yeah, <laughs> so, It's a weird thing because, you know, you, every state has a reputation of something. And so you hear the goods and bads. And I, I just love New Jersey. So I, I never I never can get away. <laughs> well, I'm always fascinated doing the show. I've learned so much about New Jersey. I grew up on the West Coast, but I've learned so much about the fact that it's not just the Garden State. We were the crossroads during the American Revolution. We have these amazing deposits from a geological standpoint of dinosaur bones, of, you know, ores and minerals. I mean, it's really a fascinating place. Did growing up here influence any decisions you made as far as what you were going to do with your life? It, it, I mean, growing up here really made my life. My, my father is a big outdoorsman, yeah. so he would take us everywhere we would go fishing he was a hunter when he was younger and then he like um kind of stopped doing that because he i don't think he liked hurting the animals anymore honestly <laughs> and um and but he would take us out all the time and like um i remember maybe you know maybe it was just to get a very 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 rambunctious child outdoors and make him fall asleep a little earlier but we would go hunting for arrowheads and uh, I, I think every rock he I picked up, he was like, yeah, that's definitely an arrowhead, buddy. Every every triangular rock. And I don't think I ever really found an arrowhead, but they're out there. And um, he yeah. would take us out and like that started my love of the outdoors. And and he would have us hike up the mountains, go go to the Delaware um, and then go down like we'd go down the shore and like all of these outdoor outdoorsy things started my love and then you know as i learned more and more about it you know it just started this fascination with me i was always curious about what was around me which fish were around what mm -hmm. rocks were around and everything like that and he and it, like he encouraged that my mom encouraged that and th again the good thing about new jersey is like we have this most fantastic geology of new jersey so literally like you can't leave if you're a geologist don't you never leave the state of new jersey because you have everything new jersey smacked into africa way long ago and then separated so we have these mountains and we have metamorphic rocks and then we have these uh, this igneous process so we have igneous rocks and then and then at the bottom like the southern part of new jersey is all new stuff it's all the the ocean deposit so it's this amazing system and then we have like you said we have fossils and we have mineral mm -hmm. deposits everything everything's in new jersey you can't leave new jersey well no it's true i remember learning on a past episode of drive-by history that one of the first almost complete dinosaur skeletons was found here in new jersey hadrosaur yeah. exactly yes i yeah. loved the story surrounding that too about the guy whose farm 
he was finding these huge bones and he thought they were giant cows. Yes, <laughs> I know. And that's the cool part too. You know, if you go into the history of like fossil finding, you know, when the fossil hunt began and when, once they realized what they had, um, everybody kind of wanted in on it and everybody wanted their name on it. So they started just putting random pieces together. Right. And, <laughs> got this great you know terrible but great thing that everybody had to clean up later on yes. but new jersey was a huge part of that because mm -hmm. the southern part is just you know 65 million years of history that is you can walk through literally you can just walk around and find these things that that are on the ground that were that were in the ocean or on on a swampy land 65 million years ago so yeah. so it, it got this, like, everybody's like, oh, we're in New York City anyway, might as well go 20 miles rather than having to go all the way out into the Midwest. Right, right. So you, know, uh, you mentioned something earlier, and I want to circle back a little bit. New Jersey, when you talked about it, the, the water here in New Jersey, we're not talking about the current coastline. Oh, no, no. <laughs> this looked very different in prehistoric times. Yeah, and we have this debate of whether like a central New Jersey exists in New Jersey because we have northern and southern New Jersey and they're very distinctly geologically different. Ah. And southern New Jersey, the northern New Jersey had that big glacier come through. But southern New Jersey, that's really new. Like that just popped up last like week, geologically. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> geologically speaking. <laughs> yeah, so geologically speaking, Southern New Jersey is so very different. Northern New Jersey has all these like interesting minerals like we saw at the Sterling Hill mines. Mm -hmm. And Southern New Jersey has a lot of sand and gravel uh, because it was under under an ocean not too long ago. Well, it's interesting. So that was under an ocean not too long ago. And New Jersey is actually in the through, I, if I remember correctly, about the center of New Jersey is where the terminal line was of the glaciers during the Ice Age. Yeah, if uh, there is a, a a nice what we call terminal moraine, mm -hmm. uh, the end of the glacier, they're like giant bulldozers, and it pushed all that sediment, and it made if if you're really really good at geology and you're really good at noticing things, you could take a plane up and you can kind of see this little like hill that that was the end of the glacier, and that kind of is the end of northern New Jersey. So that's right right near Union, right near um, Chatham area. And um, mm -hmm. you get this nice little, um, nice little, little hill that you get to see that was the end of the glaciation. And that that just a giant part of what would be American history. So the ice also melts and that creates flooding in the areas. Are there any lakes that are still existing here in New Jersey that are from that glacier? Most of them are marshes now. Like okay. um, we had Glacial Lake Hackensack and, and the Passaic River and um, a, a whole bunch of geologic features and a whole bunch of 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 lake and river features aquatic mm -hmm. features that we see today are just remnants of what used to be um very giant lakes that were left over because the the ice creates these basically dams that that hold up a whole bunch of sediment but lakes don't exist geologically very long lakes are very very um quick features gotcha. So they'll eventually either fill up with sediment, which is kind of what happened a little bit with Hackensack, or the dam will break and all of the water will flow out. And mm -hmm. so you get these rivers that eventually form, but these marshes and, and what we have as like 
these huge um, agricultural features Mm -hmm. because they fill up with sediment and that sediment is just a wonderful type of soil for for planting for growth and and for agriculture and so so that's what that's what established you know starts establishing our area interesting interesting okay let's talk about your background a little bit though because i happen to know you studied biology in college (laughs) <laughs> I did. I, Can you I did. talk I, a little bit about that? And you also I, left the area. I'm not, I'm going to call you out here on this too. I you did. went to Pennsylvania. I did. I mean, you know, um, well, we can talk about why, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> we're going to get more personal then. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> we but, don't want to dig that deeply into your background. <laughs> I'm an open book. Uh, when I when I was growing up, uh, I had that interest in in you know fish and biology. But when I was growing up, environmental science wasn't as large. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a lawyer because everybody does at some point. Yep. And um, when I when I was going to college, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to a college called Elizabethtown, which was an amazing college and had a great physical therapy program. And you're supposed to graduate in three years and then go two years for physical therapy. And on my third year, I told my parents, I think I want to stick around a little bit longer and learn about environmental science. And then I didn't graduate in four years technically because I just wanted to be environmental scientist by that time. I I still, I didn't know. I, I don't think I found out what I really wanted to be when I grew up until I was like, in my 40s so <laughs> so yesterday is what you said it was, it was last it was last week in geological time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so but i love i love biology and it's still my first love uh because they're the overlap of environmental and geology and biology um i always talk about um the discovery of evolution. Mm-hmm. Evolution could not exist without geologic time. When we were talking about organisms changing, when Darwin was kind of figuring this out and when everybody was kind of figuring out evolution and genetics, um, to have something like evolution happen, you need an incredible amount of time. And up until, you know, not too long ago, we didn't think we were around that long. Right. So, so we needed the marriage of geology and biology. And so that's kind of what entered me into geology, like this fascination with evolution. And that's where I kind of entered into geology and environmental science. And I very much fell in love with this field. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I told my mom, like, listen, I'm not going to graduate. I'm going to environmental science. She's like, yeah, hey, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> they saw the writing on the wall, so to speak. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I love, I love my job, but like back then there wasn't, you know, environmental science jobs and geology jobs are, you know, few and far between. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I thought I wanted to make money. I didn't. I, 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 <laughs> I, well, but then you went on and you got your master's in biotechnology. Biote- well, environmental science first mm-hmm. and then biotechnology because, um, number one, um, I was teaching at the time and they would pay for it. And, if yeah. you know, so... I a hundred percent, if you're going to give me an education for free, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a hard time getting me out of the classroom. So (laughs) that is one of the perks of teaching also. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful bonus to teaching. You know, there's, there's the inherent gifts of teaching, but 
having that free education, it was wonderful. So I love bio biology and, and biotechnology was, you know, immunology and, and the cells and, and all these, these interesting things that were kind of just popping up. Um, even like we're talking and, you know, nowadays where everybody's familiar with vaccinations and everybody's an expert now. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice thing. Um, <laughs> that is. was kind of a burgeoning, um, idea with, with, how we created the COVID vaccine, that was a burgeoning field back when I was studying biotechnology. So it was really like before any of this happened, it was fascinating to me how, how we figured this stuff out. And obviously computers and microscopes and stuff, you know, those are new inventions, essentially. Do you think so, it was also because of genetic sequencing, which probably would have been happening about the same time? That's exactly it. So uh, we we're studying all of that, all of the um, all of the discoveries of mm -hmm. the of the of these what again what computers allowed us to do mm -hmm. what we could never do with just microscopes and and like in the lab we we then were allowed to do because of this new technology and that it just fascinated me and I'm a you know computer guy at at my heart mm -hmm. so I, but i can't sit in front of a computer i need something else to do so <laughs> yeah so we're gonna get into that because you do about seven different things <laughs> my my one of my favorite co-workers who just retired by chip i love you um uh he told, he called me a renaissance man which may be the greatest compliment anybody could ever Absolutely. give me but um i've never it's it's not so much that i I do think it's just a, an inherent curiosity, I guess. I'm mm -hmm. always, I want to know what's going on around me mm -hmm. and I, and I have a problem saying no. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's good to know. We'll call you in the, for the future in the, for the show and know that you'll say yes. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> so I'm curious, do you have such an understanding of the earth? You have such an understanding of our environment and sustainability is something that you're drawn to. Can you talk it a little bit about that? It, that that is my favorite class to teach my yeah. my sustainability class because you know when i was young we it wasn't just ta talked about that much but going back to my father like we would fish and we always practice cpr it was catch photo and release yep um and so we would catch these fish and he was like big fish make other big fish mm -hmm. and that's you know that started me now he calls me a tree hugger as a joke <laughs> <laughs> but like he started me on this path and i i you know it really you know became part of what i what i practice and preach in my courses because you really see the change around you and you know like i said i didn't know what i wanted to be but i think the biggest difference i can make is teaching people how big of the difference that you can make individually because oftentimes people would think that the world is so much bigger than them and it is but mm -hmm. they think that they can't make a difference because their individual choices are such a small part but it's such a big part when you're doing something and people see what you're doing and then change their behaviors because they're like, well, you know, he might know something. So they start investigating and that's what it doesn't, it's not so much about your behavior. It's about making people realize that there is changes that we can make and then moving towards that. And like just me, like in my classrooms, we don't use plastic water bottles right i was going to mention you had told me that you model that behavior you don't allow any plastic bottles in your classroom 
Yeah, no, there you cannot you cannot have plastic water bottles. And it's a simple thing because, you know, I know we can recycle, but we don't recycle a lot. And even when it goes through the recycling process, it's an imperfect process. Mm-hmm. And so I want them to realize that it's a simple thing you can change. And if we stop doing it, we're going to make a much bigger change overall. And once people just start doing it, you know, for millions of years or for human history, hundreds of thousands of years, we didn't have water bottles, plastic water bottles. And then all of a sudden we can't live without them. So reminding them that we can, and then, and then like the biggest change going back to my parents, I once went over to their house and they always have water bottles in their fridge. And one day they didn't have them. And I'm like, where's the water bottles? They're like, Oh, we don't use them anymore. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Your work here is done. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it was pretty. It was a pretty fantastic. That thing, was a big like, day for you. <laughs> it really was. I remember. <laughs> That's amazing. So I have a question for you. Then, are we moving toward technologies that will actually eliminate the need for plastics for water bottles? Because obviously for transportation needs, for people who are in uh, deprived communities, you know, uh, that's a good way to get them clean, fresh water. Yes. Yes. And that's, but that's the thing. It's always the talk I have. There's, it's not about eliminating any behavior. I don't want to like, I, I much, 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 much less meat than I ever ate in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's not about a limit because when I, on my birthday, you're going to see me with a giant steak in front of me. Mm-hmm. I never want that steak to go away. And I, I don't want plastics to go away. Plastics are critical for our society. We're especially the medical community. We right. can't eliminate plastics. Right. We just want to reduce it. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's what I want to talk about because I do want those water bottles available for when we talk about areas like Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. you know, when you're transitioning from a, from a situation, you need a solution just like our cars. I don't want, you know, electric cars aren't necessarily a solution. Mm-hmm. They're a transition and any better, like you said, technology, any better technology is going to make our society better. So it's a marriage of this system. Well, and I see it as 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 someone who drives an electric car. <laughs> I, I want to try and do my part. Maybe I'm helping, maybe I'm not. But I think what's most important to me is that I'm seeing the technology of batteries changing so rapidly. It yes. has pushed that discussion forward. And I think that's the most important thing. It was not a priority. It is now a priority. And that's and that's it. Like obviously in capitalism we want to go where the money goes right and not for nothing that's why i have my phone sitting here mm-hmm. um back in the zach morris phone days we had those giant phones and yeah. what prompted them to get smaller and smaller and smaller is because people wanted the batteries to last longer and longer i remember my first phone lasted a whole 20 minutes of <laughs> talk time wow. 20 minutes oh that was that was innovative back right. <laughs> oh yeah and, and so like the battery manufacturers saw that drive and and that's what really prompted them to push and push and push. Mm-hmm. So investing in something like an electric car, investing even in better water bottles, um, that right. that pushes us to a better, more sustainable future. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I'll take that every day. <laughs> Good. Where do you see us in 10 years then? What's What do you think the goal should be? Oh, ooh, that's a, I know. <laughs> that's an interview question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Not you. <laughs> the industry. It's like, where, how do you see us changing? We're oh. obviously, I personally, I think we're living through an 
era of change. We're living through a, a time when people can actually see some of the effects of our behaviors. And I think that's I think that's what we're seeing more and more. And I think what also we're seeing is kind of the culmination of all all that we've done for the last 150 years. Yes. And so we're seeing a much larger impact mm-hmm. of what we've done. And we realize that, it, you know, there's all this controversy, controversy about a lot of topics in environmental and sustainability. But um, you know that you know that there's a truth behind it because you're seeing companies and corporations invest in sustainability because they know the products that they're making will not be around in a in a certain amount of time we're running out of the metals we're running you know we're stealing catalytic converters and stuff like that right. because the metals are so valuable to us and precious that we need we're seeing that a future doing what we're doing is impossible Mm-hmm. So we are going to see that investment of of corporations and and of of us like in our in our in our electric cars and vehicles we're going to see that transition because there's there's no future to something even oil like we you know we're, we're married to oil but we can't be because that there's going to be a divorce soon enough at some point we yeah. just don't have it well it's it, it has a finite supply i mean it's not something we can we can create out of thin air yeah, yeah exactly exactly so <laughs> so as much as like we might be married to it like that marriage again it's got to end sometime and so we're seeing that transition and i think we're going to see that transition faster because uh, as much as we love oil oil makes a whole bunch of other stuff that we're not aware of sometimes right. so so you know, even the plastics and the I was just going to say plastics are one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, we're going to have to, to either spend an incredible amount to get that little bit left, or we're going to have to transition away. What scares me is like, um, like planes, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to figure something out in the future. And they're Mm -hmm. talking about solar power. It takes a lot of energy to get that plane off the ground. So, well, you know, it's funny because I was just watching a video yesterday about, um, a new electric car that's coming out that has solar panels on the roof. And they said, okay, it's great, but it's really, it's lip service. That is, You're going to get maybe 150 miles out of that solar power over a year. Yes. Over a year. Yeah. That's not going to help. Well, that's the thing. We forget how much energy it takes because it's a physics problem. Energy Mm -hmm. becomes a physics problem. And to get a plane off the ground takes all of the energy. Once you're up in the air, do whatever you want. Right. But to get it off the ground. And so like you can stick all the solar panels you want on that plane. It ain't getting off the ground. (laughs) So so we're going to be on giant slingshots maybe like just a big rubber band. (laughs) <laughs> now, there's a visual <laughs> like launching off of a, a, a ship in the ocean <laughs> i mean there was a guy that tried it once i they were trying to build a giant platform in the ocean to shoot things into the air like slingshot them so yeah we we have a weird history in science so yeah but you know you gotta try to find out if it works that's that's the scientific process. That's yeah? right. That's right. Yes, so, yeah. trial and error. See what happens with it. Well, it's interesting. So at least there's some hope. I we're both working with college students. Yeah, we're both teaching college, I should say. And 
I find that those students are so malleable and they're so open to change and they want to make sure that we help them ensure their own futures. And that's the, and again, this is how I ended. I never thought I'd be a professor. I never thought I'd be a teacher. It wasn't really where my career path was. I wanted to be outdoors. I wanted to be, you know, fishing and, and Mm -hmm. testing soil and testing water and things like that. And I, I truly found my love in, in the classroom because I really feel like I make the big, I know it sounds so like wishy-washy, but I truly feel like I make the biggest difference in the world by doing that. Like, because like you said, these students, a lot of them, especially where, where we teach, um, they're coming from a background where they don't number one, get outdoors very much. Right. And they, they haven't been exposed to, to these ideas because they're in an urban environment maybe, or they're, you know, and you know, me too, like, you know, as much as I said, my dad took me outdoors, you know, we, we didn't have much money to just travel around the world. We didn't mm-hmm. travel around the world. Mm-hmm. We, we were kind of stuck to New Jersey, luckily enough, New Jersey, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but we were stuck where we were. So when, so you need these bigger things and these bigger ideas and, and, and it's fun to like talk about some stuff and, and the, again, the beauty of technology is like when I mentioned something in class and, and my students are like, what, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh wait, there's a video for it. Yep. So it's the beauty of like YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's like when I talk about like a landslide or, or something like that, or an earthquake and they're like, this happened. And I'm like, Oh, we have videos of it. Watch. And so you get to see these fantastic things that happens thousands of miles away mm-hmm. and you get, and their eyes open. They're like, wow, this is something bigger than, than I am. And then get to understand that process. It's, it's awesome. Oh yeah. And everybody has a video camera in their pocket. Yeah, I know. Thank so you, you can document. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the curse okay. of being available 24 seven, but also being able to document everything that happens. Everything, everything, and that's. But that's again. It's the, there's some things geologically that we thought existed, mm-hmm. and we never could document. We never could really prove it. And now we have videos of it because somebody just happened to have a phone with them at that exact moment. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the the Bigfoot footage. I'm still waiting for the alien abduction footage. I'm still Ooh. waiting for all of those things. <laughs> My buddy in the, uh, that lives near nearby me lo- loves the alien conspiracy theory kind oh. of. <laughs> And so he has his own website about it. That's great. He's waiting for those videos. <laughs> well, I grew up in the Northwest and everybody talked about Bigfoot. I've never seen one. Never. Uh, not once. Listen, we have the Jersey Devil down south. I've not seen them, but I, I've heard the same things. Yep. We did an episode on that. <laughs> it was a fantastic story. Now, my question, why do we know they don't exist? We don't know that they don't exist. It's because you can't prove that something doesn't exist. Exactly. doesn't work scientifically that way. All you can do is prove its existence by finding evidence that supports that. You know this. But speaking of looking out at things, having a view of the world, you have a couple other jobs that you do. Let's talk about the esports and let's talk about the drones. I like I said, I I, I like my technology and yeah. I like my computers. Um and I never say no. Okay. Um, so when I got to my current job at Kane, um we, we were working on our new campus 
And this is the Skylands campus, the Skylands campus in in Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of my coworkers had a drone. I'm like, oh, I love drones. And one of the big parts of environmental sciences is mapping and understanding our space in the universe and our space on the Earth. So um, a a huge job if you for all of you out there, if you want to get into environmental science and get paid a good amount of money very quickly. Um, there's this thing called GIS. It's it's basically mapping and figuring out the relationship between our top topography, our our Earth, and all of the features and stuff. And it's it's huge. So that was something that I used to work with. And we we would map things. We would take this GPS system, a giant backpack back in the day, with this little handheld system, and we'd walk around everywhere. Mm-hmm. for hours and hours and hours just walking what we call transects back and forth back and forth trying to get a map of the area mm-hmm. and now we have these drones and you just fly it for 15 minutes and you get what i used to do for days and days mm-hmm. so the the technology has changed and it's beautiful and so he brought this drone i'm like oh we have drones and he's like i don't think we do this is the only one and I'm like, oh, can we borrow it? He's like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> so, um, so I went to the to the college to to sign out the equipment. I'm like, when do you want it back? They're like, eh, nobody asks for it. And I'm like, well, so so can I can I just use it? They're like, yeah, bring it back whenever you're done with it. I still have that drone. Um, wow. Yeah, and and it kind of started um, a discussion at the university, and to give them all the credit in the world. Um, my boss was like, can we make this into something bigger? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so she she started it the discussion at a higher level. And she said, give me a budget. And I did small, medium and large. And um, they saw the potential in it and gave me larger than the large budget that I wanted. And now we have a, a fleet of drones and we use them for agriculture. We use them for for um for like i said the mapping and topography hydrology they're really huge in the industry right now so we're giving our students a nice introduction and i get to fly drones all day long my my <laughs> wife doesn't love it because there's always drones taking up space oh i'm sure house. yeah <laughs> and they they get large well no one can have just one right <laughs> no no it's like potato chips you can't have just one <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about though you need to be licensed to fly a drone. Yes. There are yeah. places you can't fly a drone. I just want to make sure we don't inspire somebody to go out and buy a drone and go crazy tomorrow. No, go out and buy a drone and go crazy and then take my class and find out why you were crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we we started this class that teaches about how and where you can fly drones. And then it became a drone minor. But people really didn't realize that there are rules behind it. You can... You can fly a drone without a license. You just have to take a little safety test online, but you can't you can't do it for profit. So you can't make money flying a drone. So anything you know, commercials and and mapping, like I said, and and a lot of um, emergency management people use it, but that's kind of under a different rule. But you you have to have a license if you want to fly a drone professionally. And there are very strict regulations because as soon as you leave, like Michael Jordan has been owned by the FAA for a long time, because as soon as you leave the ground, you're owned by the FAA. Mm. So the FAA owns all of the airspace. And because the drones are in airspace, there are very, 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 very strict regulations that people aren't aware of. And now that drones are becoming more popular, 
um, they're kind of paying more attention to it. And so, so we've kind of become our own worst enemy because we've fallen in love with this, this industry. We've fallen in love with this technology and because we've fallen in love with it and kind of made it better and better. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now the eyes are on us. All right. Esports. Ooh. Talk to us about esports. This was to fascinating go, to me. To go along with that technology, yeah. um, we, I'm an old video game guy. Um, so when I when I was teaching, I came. One of my favorite students, hi, hi Victoria, um, <laughs> was um, in my class, and I do my introductions in the first week of class. And she was the president of of the esports club, and she's like, "And we're starting a competitive esports program." I'm like, "Well, get me in on this." And and so she's like, "We have a coach, Matt, and and he's wonderful, and um, we're building this esports arena." And I'm like, "Oh well, I'm definitely in on this then." So, so let's, I, let's back up a second here, though, because I don't know that everybody understands what esports is. Oh, it's competitive video games. What my mom said I'd never make any money doing. <laughs> it is the fastest growing sport in the United States. Woo, go esports. Um, but there, there is a huge industry. Again, these industries pop up because we go where where, where the interest goes uh, around video games. And now video games literally fill stadiums. So, so when I... When when I was younger, we we would play on Nintendo, and we, it was a very very personal thing because you had to be right next to the person. Right. But as the internet came in, um, I made some of my best friends playing video games that I have I I've never literally seen. I they live miles and miles away. Like so, we had a we had a video game group around the a game called Halo, and we started this this group, and I'm still friends with them to this day. Some live out in Missouri, and some live out some some live nearby because we're in an urban area, so everybody lives in in mm-hmm. in the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. But we have uh, we had somebody who lived on a reservation out in the yeah. So the these uh, amazing people, and I got to you know meet them, mm-hmm. and it it became a big part of my life in my, in my early years of a video game. So we would, we started tournaments, we played with the video game developers and stuff and we got, it got bigger and bigger and it takes a lot of time. So I kind of moved away from that as I went into geology, environmental science, Mm -hmm. but this all brought it back. So when, when they, they said video game, we're doing this esports thing. I was like, I need to be part of this. Mm -hmm. So I called the athletic director. He's like, we'd love to have you aboard. And we have this beautiful, beautiful arena that they built. And now we have, what I love about it is that we have 50 students in the program and we play about a dozen different types of games. So we have sports games and we have fighting games and we have shooting games and we have card games. So we have all these different things. But what I love about it is um, the there is no entry there is no barrier to entry Mm -hmm. everybody can play video games so that like you get the spectrum of of everybody there there is no sex there is no gender there is no race that everybody is the same behind the keyboard Mm -hmm. so it is an amazing chance and it's tough because like i said i i don't say no um when somebody asks like oh can we play this video game yes so it's tough because then the program keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger so it's it gets more to manage but 
you can't, there's a passion behind it, which is a blessing and a curse. There's this passion behind it that everybody wants to be a part of. And the, the blessing is everybody gets to be a part of it. The curse is that, man, there is, there is so much growth. Where, where, where do we, where do we put the walls to stop Mm -hmm. the growth? And, and you don't want to ever take advantage of anybody's passion, but every, everybody will, you know, because it's this thing that they're interested in, they're going to do anyway. They're like, I'll do it for free. And I'm like, no, 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 you will not do it for free. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you you know, you try to find the advantages and you try to find where we can give, like, we'll give students credit for, for doing the broadcasting and we'll give students credit for coaching the teams. and, And we try to pay them for coaching the teams and overseeing things because they'll do They'll do it for free. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Well, that was going to be my question, actually. How do the students get credit for this? I mean, how does this work? And also, can you walk us through, if I walked into this arena that you're talking about, what does it look like? Oh, it's it's gorgeous. Um, we have pictures all over online. Um, but we have a general area where you have about 20 computers that students from Kane can come in at any time and play. Mm-hmm. So that's that's our general area. And and we we we're open during the day and, and at night we have this nice competitive area where you have big screen in the back and we have two sets of six computers on each side of where they're compete they can compete against each other or they're competing in their separate games. And then we put the game up on the big screen so that yeah. so that spectators can watch those games. Um and that's you know it's it's a beautiful system it's a it's like re- they really invested a good amount to make this what it is and the the students benefit the 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 problem is we're you know we can't we can't give credit for playing just like any sport um they get they get what they can get they get early registration classes and they get to be part of the team so they get a jersey and and they get to put it on their on their resume but they are part of the team it is absolutely a hundred percent team sports. So they they really like they spend a lot of time, more time than I asked them to practice. Hmm. Are these programs becoming popular in other universities? Is this something that's starting to pop up? They are popping up, and, yeah. it, and that's that again that comes with the difficulty of growth because they're popping up everywhere, and it's kind of like madness. Who's yeah. controlling this? Who? Because like we we have this beautiful place, and we're playing some places that are are playing from their dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. So it's like the programs are popping up, and then now universities and and larger systems are seeing it more and more. So they're investing more and more and more and more, gotcha. which is exactly what we're, we're you know we want to be at the forefront i want to be the best and the only mm-hmm. but i don't you know you want no you want it to grow yeah is there a world series equivalent is there somewhere where all of these different teams can come together oh there with colleges we we all have our own like individual conferences so we play a lot of, we play colleges all the way in california sometimes and we, even though we're an east coast conference there's no limit to entry because we don't have to get on a plane or we don't have to get a butt on a bus. We can play them from anywhere. And that's the beauty of this is that, but the hard part is, you know, you're playing people from different time zones. And so it's tough to organize schedules and it's tough to organize who has the resources to actually do it versus who's just kind of, again, playing from a laptop in a, in a dark area. Um, (laughs) So the, the regulations are becoming now that 
just like drones, as it gets more and more popular, we're seeing more and more regulations. We're seeing more investment in it. And that's that's exactly what we want, again, because we want to be recognized as an act, not only as an actual sport, but we want to be recognized for all of the good things that we're doing. And with video games, you have that old fashioned, oh, it's just some kid in his basement. It's not. It's it's we have true athletes and like and like they're athletic, they're brilliant, they're smart, they're they're hardworking and they need to be recognized. And the more this comes out into the daylight, the more recognition that they're going to get. And that's that's the great part. Well, I love that. So you had said to me you had the best job in the world. I believe you after listening to your passion about this. It's phenomenal. I really need to stop by and see this. I I know we're on the same campus, but you know it's a large campus, and we don't necessarily cross paths. Yeah, it's a large campus, and and I, I talked to somebody this week that 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 was forced to visit almost because they they had a job to do, and so they were bringing students over, and they're like, "I never knew this was here." I was like, "That's that's my fault. I got to tell more people." <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll get the word out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this this will help because it, it deserves it deserves to be recognized and like you said i you know i fly drones and i Mm -hmm. fish and i play video games for a living it truly is the best it's dangerously good don't tell them i love my job because (laughs) because i'll never give you a raise (laughs) (laughs) i think we're stuck (laughs) both of us (laughs) it's true if people want to learn more about this program the esports program or the drone program where can they get information I mean, we have our website, the Kane website. If you just search Kane and drones or Kane and esports, you'll see my email pop up. But my, you know, you can post the my email or post my contact information, uh, my phone number too. You know, yeah. <laughs> everybody can call. <laughs> now, the drone program is available to anybody outside of the the Kane community. We correct? we run a training program that is available to everybody, and then we and then we run our classes that you can enroll for um and if you're just bored again if you just see me on campus there's a good chance i have a drone with me so you can just <laughs> stop me and say hello and i will definitely fly drones with you my buddy <laughs> my my buddy once called me and he's like joe i have these friends near me and they want to see a drone are you available and i was like yeah i got one in my car right now i'll be right there so, <laughs> you're like so the guy in the movie who pops up right behind him and goes here's a drone <laughs> yeah that, that is me so, so um there's a good chance i have a drone with me and there's a good chance i have my video games with me I, so <laughs> good thing is carry them with you nowadays good to know you're prepared <laughs> yeah oh we're gonna play and we're gonna fly <laughs> well good good so is there anything else you want us to know about joe Sarnowski? Oh no! Um, I I'm scarily who I am. Um, I'm brutally no, honest, uh, and like um, when I say I love my job, this is the first time I could ever truly say that. And because I didn't say no to things, like I ended up with video games and drones. Don't say no to things mm-hmm. because when you say yes, you end up you end up in some bad situations sometimes. But then you end up, you know, I ended up where I am, and I literally could not be happier. So well, that's, that's fantastic. And I get to meet, honestly, Ken, I get to meet you. <laughs> and likewise, likewise, Joe. No, I'm so thrilled that you were able to join us for Drive by History. You're part of the Drive by History family now. I, I hope so. I hope we get to meet up more and more and more. We will. We will. I'm sorry we never got that picture, though, in the red wagon thing that was in front of the mine. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I live close. Just <laughs> <laughs> We'll grab Rich. We'll all go down there. I know when you all watch the episode, you'll see what I'm talking about. But <laughs> we unfortunately never made it into that. Um, I also have never gotten dirtier 
than I did climbing through that mine. <laughs> As you'll remember. I know. And for those who watch it, um, Ken, you're a very tall person. Yes, I am. And you had me walking in the muddy ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just hurt my knee about a day before that That's shooting. Right. And and th there was a small car path that they probably don't get to see because of probably just taping the, the top mm -hmm. halves of us. But but it, it's a very um, uneven surface. And we were both walking in a very, very, very gross, muddy. Yes. <laughs> so what Joe is saying is I put him in the water and I also made him look shorter than he is. Yeah. He's actually not short at all. <laughs> <laughs> but compared to me, he's gonna look small. <laughs> I'm gonna look minuscule. That's, that's, that's okay with me. Uh, well, we can highlight you. I'm uh, no. deserve it. <laughs> hey, this show is always about you guys. It's not about me. I'm just the conduit. <laughs> it was well, perfect. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us. Give our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better and understand what you do, which is so many things. You are and truly a renaissance man, Joe. I, I, I don't, I, I just, I love what I do. So again, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that I, I'm pursuing these things. It's just, I just find things that I love and just keep doing them. So wow. I, I really, I'm and like this, you know, I, I like I said, I want to, I want to do this forever. So fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm happy to know you. I'm happy to have you as part of the DBH family. And I can't wait until we get to work together again. I can't, you're going to visit me in the esports. I am absolutely going to do that. So for anybody watching, if you want to learn more about our show, you can visit drivebyhistory.org. You can watch past episodes of the show. You can learn about what's coming up and um, catch up with all of our podcasts that we're going to be releasing. All right. We will see you all soon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you all for watching. We'll see you soon.